into the word, Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 15. We're going to be in verse 15. When you're there, say amen. <clears throat> Lord, we, we ask you to, Lord, to, to guide us and lead us here, Lord. Lord, your words, Lord, that's what we want, Lord. Your words, your words, Lord, not ours. Not our ideas, not our opinions, God, your word. Lord, may your word fall down like rain. Bless us, Lord, spiritually. In Jesus' name, God, help us this morning, Lord. Help me, Lord. Amen. In verse 15 of Matthew 22, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Woo! Man, we're getting some today. Okay, entanglement. Anybody know about entanglement? Entanglement? Huh? Trying to trip somebody up? Trying to make them seem like they're saying something they're not. That don't happen ever, does it? You know what I'm saying? Um, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They plotted. They plotted. They were taking their time time out of their day. They, this was a, an aim, a focus for them. Verse 16. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you're true and you then teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Now, wasn't that a beautiful thing to say to Jesus? Huh? You think they meant it? Anybody? Oh, sugarcoating. Sugarcoating. Yeah. All right. I like them sugar cookies. You know, the pan de polvo. Anybody know about those? I like, I love them. I love them. You know what I'm saying? Somebody gives me pan de polvo. I'm like, what do you want? Right? You know what I'm saying? Okay, sugar cookies. Don't sugarcoat it. Verse, 20, uh, verse 17. Tell us then what you think. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. Is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, of course he was. Jesus knows the hearts and minds of men. He said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Woo. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him, and they went away. Mm. Again, verse 15, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Their plot, their aim, the goal was to entangle him, entangle him in his words. They're trying to trip him up. Unfortunately for them... They didn't know that he is the word. Amen? He is the word. He can't be entangled in his words. He is the word. He's the very essence of breath and life and everything. He cannot be entangled by that which he is. If that thing, that person that he is, is the preeminent one, the one who is high and lifted up, whose robe and the train of it fill the temple, as we read about in Isaiah chapter 6. He is the word. He is the one who speaks and worlds are created. His words are power. 
And they're trying to entangle him in his own power, in his own word. But by his great word, we are changed. We are called his very own. How? By his word. Called his very own by his word. He speaks and commands are handed down. People are judged, the living and the dead. By his own word, this, this happens. And his great word has power. His great word has authority. His great word is sovereign and he is sovereign and he reigns in heaven seated in his rightful place at the right hand of the father. Why? Because he is the word. Because he is the word. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him by the father. Glory is his. Power is his. Majesty is his. Authority is his. He is the preeminent one. I want to turn for a second to Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. I'm going to read that for you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He has the power within himself by his own word to subject creation itself because he's the one who made it. Now, how did he make it? All of creation, all of the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, every planet that's out there, every galaxy that's out there, every single thing. How did he do this? He did it with a word. With a word he did it. In the beginning he said, let there be light. And guess what, was, guess what happened right after that, church? There was light. Bang! Let there be light and boom! Light. How did he do this? Because his words have power. They have creative essence within them. They have the power to make things appear out of nothing. We talked about that ex nihilo. Out of nothing he creates something. He spoke and it was. Yet they try to entrap him by his own tongue. Simply said, they don't know what they're dealing with. They don't know who they're dealing with if they're trying to entangle him in his words. Verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. By his very own words, they try and twist him up and say something that he could be charged with. They try to twist him up to say something that he could be charged with in the sight of the people. Because not only... Did they want Jesus to say the wrong words, but they wanted him to do it in front of other people so that they would have witnesses to the things that he says. But they were prophesied about in the Psalms. I want to turn with you to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1. The psalmist says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why do these Pharisees plot in vain? Why do the nations rage against the Lord Jesus Christ, the preeminent one? 
Again, verse 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel. Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They are trying to do away with God and his truth. They are trying to do away with anything that, anything that challenges their power and authority and their grip on the ancient world. But their very own plots against the Lord were the fulfillment of Scripture itself, as we see here in Psalm 2. They're fulfilling this. And they were condemned because of it. As they were on the negative end of the prophecy, they were condemned because of it. The rulers took counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. They plotted how to entangle Him with His own words. Yet as the psalmist says, they, they plot in vain. The people plot in vain. They're spinning their wheels. Any plot against the Lord is a plot in vain. Do you know that, church? Any plot against the Lord is a plot that is plotted in vain. It's in vain. In vain. They're spinning their wheels. They're in the quicksand. They're in the mud with little tires. They can't get out. They're just spinning, running in place. There's no power in plots against the King of Kings. Because the power belongs to Him. The power is His. And how do we know this? How do we know this, Truth Church? The Word. His Word. That's how we know. The very thing they, sing, they, the very thing they seek to entangle is the very truth that lives within every single believer in Jesus Christ. We know the truth because it has been handed down through the ages. Ancient words, ever true. Changing me and changing you. Ancient words. This is what we have. And yet they try to entangle him in his own words. Ain't going to work. You see, the world has tried and tried for thousands of years to entangle the word, the word as well as seeking to entangle Christians with the word. We see it in Luke 4 as the enemy himself, Satan, tempts, he tempts Christ as he's fasting without food or drink for 40 days, comes, attacks him in his weakness. And what does he try to do? He tries to entangle him with what? With the scripture of God, the very word of God itself. Oh, doesn't the word say this? And Jesus says, oh, man, you got it all wrong, man. Yeah, it says that, but it says this. You can't twist that. They're trying to entangle. This has always happened. It happens today with Christians in the world. We are facing this today. The world still trying to entangle the church with words, with rulings from courts. Let me assure you of something that should set you free. Are you listening? The world will never win. You hear that? The world will try and try and try. They'll, they'll try to take things to the courts, to the Supreme Court. They'll try and try and try. They'll try to get ruling after ruling that, that goes against the very fabric of our faith. But let me tell you something that should set you free again, church. The world will never win. Because we have... Faith in the preeminent one, the one who's high and lifted up forever, the one Jesus Christ, who is the Word Himself. And this is 
the revealing, as we read in Romans 8, that all of creation is eagerly awaiting, it's groaning together for the revealing of the sons of God. This is the revealing. Their hearts are being revealed to them at their time. They're being revealed to the other people. They fight against Christ. What does that reveal about them? That they are enemies of Christ. They are enemies of God. When we stick in and stand in our faith, when we are, are steadfast, when we are steadfast in the foundation that has been laid under our feet by the cross of Jesus Christ himself and then the glorious resurrection and ascension into heaven, when we stand on that firm foundation, what does that reveal about us, church? That we belong to him, that we love him, and that no one will ever take that from us and no one will ever take him from our midst. We are his and we are his forever. All of creation groaning together, eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. Let me tell you something, church. The revealing is here, and you have been revealed as the sons and daughters and children of God. How glorious is that? You have been revealed. That veil has been lifted. The revealing has happened. We're just on the catwalk of life right now. They will be known by their fruit or lack thereof. Again, back, back to Matthew 22. The, then the Pharisees, in verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and that you teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Oh my goodness, they say some good things. They say some good things, some beautiful things, some things actually that are true. He, 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 he does not care about these opinions. He doesn't. We know that you are true. He is true. That you teach the way of God truthfully. He does. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. That's right, because opinion versus truth. I'm going to choose truth every day, all day. Aren't you? I want to know what's right. I don't want to know what somebody thinks, that what their opinion is. I want to know what's right. I need what's right. That's what I need to live. That's the substance of my life is truth. If we have no truth, we have nothing. There's going to come a day, Jesus says, when those who worship the Father will not worship him on this mountain or that mountain. They will worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth. This is what he says to the woman at the well. The wonderful Samaritan who goes and tells the whole village about Christ. But this is pure flattery here, and it's blasphemous. They didn't even believe what they were saying to him, yet they said it so they could get his ear, they could get his attention. It's like when I hear politicians talk about their dear friends from the other side of the aisle. My dear friend from the other side of the aisle. Dear friend. And then they go on to lambast them, right? To cut them down because of everything that they believe, that everything that they stand for, they lambast them. My dear friend from the other side. I'm telling you one thing. If you are my dear friend, I ain't going, man, that, that ain't, I ain't going there. If you're my dear friend, you're my dear friend. Amen? It's all lip service, man. As they say, how can you tell when a, a politician is lying when their lips are moving? Pure flattery. Lip service, a ploy. It's a manipulation. It's 
It's setting up someone so well, building them up so that you can accuse them and cut them down. So that you can have their ear. They say he doesn't care about opinions and he isn't swayed by appearances. Why? Why would they say that? They have experience with him already, don't they? The appearance of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and scribes, they say that you don't care about opinions, you're not swayed by appearances. This is what they tell Jesus. The, the appearance of the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and the elders of the Jews all had the outward appearance of godliness while at the same time, the very same time, they were inwardly, inwardly far from him. You realize that, right? It doesn't matter how dressed up somebody gets, church. It don't matter. That says nothing about the heart within. Amen? Their stature didn't matter to Jesus. Who were the best dressed, the finest dressed, the most well-mannered of that time? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders of the Jews, the Herodians, and these were all the people that were condemning Christ, setting him up here in this very scripture passage to entangle him. Their stature didn't matter to Jesus. So no, he did not care about the outward appearance. What does he care about, church? Anybody know? The heart. That's what Jesus cares about. That's what God has always wanted. He wants your heart. Your heart. He treated the poor and the lame and the blind and the beggars and the lepers with more respect than he did the Jewish leaders. They knew that their dress didn't mean anything to him except for a symbol of hypocrisy as they said one thing and they did another. Man, you look real good on the outside, but on the inside you are dead. He wasn't swayed by their appearance of godliness. God doesn't care if you wear a suit and a tie or pajama pants, church, and a tank top. His main concern for you is your heart. It's your heart. It always has been. The church has messed things up, though. You got to look a certain way to be here with us. Ain't that a lie from the pit of hell? Christ does not care about appearances. He cares about your heart. If you put more time into the way that you look to go anywhere in this life than you do into your relationship with God, then you've got some things twisted then you have been entangled in the world. Opinions don't change the truth that he preaches. His main concern is your heart. Times don't change the truth that he tells. Society doesn't change the way that he speaks or the way that he heals, the miracles that he performs. His truth is unchangeable because his truth is the only real objective truth that this world will ever know. It is the guideline by which we live and interact with one another on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. His truth is the unchanging grace that we get to receive and have showered upon us through faith in Jesus Christ. We have the truth revealed to us. So they went and plotted and sent their disciples and the Herodians. Wow, okay, the Herodians too now, okay. They're mentioned three times in the scripture. Who are these Herodians? Hmm. They were a political party that were loyal followers of King Herod. 
They wanted Herod restored to the throne in Judea. The Pharisees were opposed to the Herodians because the Pharisees wanted a descendant of David to take the throne in Judea. You understand what's happening here? Two political factions opposed to one another have now joined forces so that they could possibly defeat a common enemy. And who was the enemy of the, of the Jews? Who was the enemy of the Herodians' church? Jesus. Why? Because God and the devil don't miss. What fellowship has God with Belial? What relationship does light have with darkness? He was a threat, Jesus was. Not to one party, but to the entire world as he was calling them out of darkness and into the light. He was a problem for them. And he, he remains a problem in this world today, doesn't he, church? Let me ask you something. I want to know. I just want to know what, what you you know what you know. Does the world love Jesus? We know that they don't. It does not. There is no fellowship there. There is no fellowship there. This is why we work so diligently to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, that some from the world would come out of the world and into Christ. Amen. I was in the world, church. Anybody else in here used to be in the world? Yeah, all of us, every single... I know some of y'all think you were born Christians, but <laughs> the Bible says something different. You had to be adopted into the family of God. Not everybody in this world is a child of God. I'm sorry, they're not. Actually, I'm not sorry. That's the truth of God, and I apologize to no one for it. The Bible does not teach that everyone is a child of God. The Bible teaches that everyone was born into the image of God. We are all image bearers of God, yes. But to be a child, you have to be adopted into the family. And the only way that we're adopted into the family is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, where his blood covers us, and then we live righteously for him because we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we are co-heirs with Christ. This is the truth of the word. we got to be adopted in. You see, the um, Pharisees plotted with these Herodians. They sent their disciples. The Pharisees did along with the Herodians to question Jesus. They figured if they could get Jesus to say that they didn't need to pay taxes to Caesar, well then, the Herodians would seize him for treason and their mutual problem would be solved. They're like, hey, y'all come with us. Let's ask him about taxes. Let's ask him about money. Let's get him. Let's get him on finances. Let's do it. Let's see what he says. Because if he says that we don't have to pay taxes to Caesar, y'all know what that means. Everybody's going to think they don't have to pay taxes. He's going to start an uprising and a revolt. You know what that means for you. No Herod on the throne ever. And you know what that means for us, the Pharisees say. No descendant of David on the throne ever. But they were so deceived, weren't they? Because Jesus is the descendant of David who would take the throne. But they just couldn't see it. Why? Because they were blinded by their own pride. Verse 17, tell us then, Matthew 22, 17, tell us then what, what, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
Now, I want you to listen and read closely here. They asked him what he thought. What do you think, they say. What do you think? Not what is right. Not what do you know. But what he thinks, they're asking him. And this is deceiving in itself. In other words, they're asking him for an opinion. They tell him, we know that you're not swayed and you don't care about opinion or appearances, but let us have your opinion. You see that? It's crafty. It's crafty. They're asking his thoughts on the law of the Roman Empire. That's what they're asking. The law of the empire. What do you think about the law? Is it fair? Should we follow it? That's what they're asking him. They're asking for an interpretation of the law of Caesar in verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, Jesus sees it all coming. He's like a mile away, you know? He sees it all coming. He says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? That would insinuate, why don't you test yourselves? Why are you testing me? Test yourselves. What do you think? This was to show them a game. Uh, this, or this was a, a show to them. It was a game to them. It was a game of chess to these Pharisees and Herodians, these, these, these scribes and Sadducees and elders of the Jews. It was a game to them in public with their very own enemy, the one who came in and threatened to upheave everything that they knew and held dear. And by this, I mean their pride, their power, their envy, their greed, and their hypocrisy. In verse 19, he says, show me the coin for the tax. Let me see. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose whose likeness and inscription is this? So let me ask you this. Is Jesus asking to gain insight and knowledge? Is he asking for informative reasons? Is he asking for information? Is he asking because he does not know the answer? These are... Show me the coin for the tax in verse 19. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Jesus knows. And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. They marveled. They couldn't, get, they couldn't get him with that. They just couldn't get him. All of their thinking, all of their plotting, all of their ploying, all of their meetings in secret, they couldn't get him. Why not? Because he consistently pointed them to God, pointed them to the Word. They couldn't get him. They said, why don't, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Well, what does it say in the Word? Okay, never mind. You know? Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Well, let's see it in the Word. Oh. Jesus is like, you want to come with me, you want to come with me with something, you better come with the word. Because that's what we follow. As we know, he was only captured and tried and convicted and sentenced and executed Jesus when he saw fit to allow it all to take place, when it was the appointed time for it. That's when he did it. Amen? He went... He went willingly, but this was not that day. Not yet. They're asking about 
yet another type of law. They have already accused him you know, using the law of Moses. Okay, They've already accused him using the law of Moses. Why don't your disciples do this and that? Why don't they follow the law? Right? All this. And he, he, he checks their hearts on it and says, you're, you're neglecting... You're neglecting the heart. You're neglecting your families for the sake of the law. They're following the letter of the law while ignoring the heart of it. And they aren't even following the letter very well. He pointed out to them that they were only working to obey the letter while neglecting the heart. And they're asking him about what what belongs to the empire. The tax belongs to the empire. They're asking him about that. Because... Of the laws of the empire, uh, because of the laws of the empire, unfair and unjust as they may be. Church, are there unfair and unjust laws on the books in the United States of America? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Do we have to follow them? Do you have to pay taxes here? Yes. Right? Yes, you have to pay taxes. Do you pay your taxes? Yes. You. Okay. Do you pay your taxes? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Don't worry. We don't got no IRS here. You know what I'm saying? Come and get them. Come and get them right here. Right here in front. We we do this. Why? Because we are told in the scripture that God has set the authority over us. Do you know how many rulers in this world God has put in place? How many? What's that? All of them. All of them. Every single ruler on the face of this planet is there by God's permission. Why? So that his glory would be seen in the world. So that the ones he puts there to advance the kingdom of God are seen as those that belong to him. So they would be more glorious to the people that are seeking for an answer in the world that the world does not offer. That we would be more drawn to God because of his grace and seeing the the, the stark difference between the devil and God, the world and the Lord. So they're asking him about this, trying to trap him, but his allegiance, his allegiance was not to money, his allegiance was not to the emperor. Do y'all know that? Jesus was not, his allegiance was not to the emperor, it was not to money. He cared not for the tax of the empire. He cares for the souls of men, women, and children. Amen? Isn't that right, church? It's like the tax. Tax? What about these people here? You worried about giving giving Caesar a tax? What about giving these people the truth? What about giving them the... a pathway, the highway to heaven in Jesus Christ. What about the people? You care about a tax? What about the people? What about your families? So Caesar has his face on it. So give it to him. Whose face is on it? Whose inscription? Caesar's. So give it to him. 
Your treasure is not of this world, church. Your treasure is not in this world. If you allow money to guide you, it will lead you in circles. It will trip you up and it will make you fall if you, lead, if you allow money to be your guide. He cared not for the money of the world and where it could take him. He didn't store up for himself treasure on earth. Instead, he stored up for himself and called us to do the same. Store up treasure for yourselves, not on earth, but where, church? In heaven. How do we store up treasure in heaven, church? How? By doing good to others, don't we? By being good stewards of the faith of Jesus Christ. By sharing the gospel. By exhibiting wisdom and truth. By speaking the truth in love. By living in love. By loving God with everything and loving others as we love ourselves. By being unified. By being peacemakers. That's how we store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. By obeying the commands of God in love. He's not printing money on earth, Jesus. He's not printing money on earth, as he very well could. He's leading us to righteousness by his own life and sacrifice. That's what he's doing. And that's what we should do, isn't it, church? Leading people to Jesus by our own lives and sacrifice. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And what is God's, church? It says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God's. Now, what is God's? Yes! Yes! Everything! Let me just say it like this. You! That's what is God's. It's you. You are God's. You belong to Him. Give yourselves to Him. Everything you are. Give to Caesar what Caesar's giving you. He wants the money. Give him the tax. I know it's not fair. Just be at peace. And give to God what is God's. Give him all of yourselves. You see the coins and the dollar bills of this world, the gold, the precious stones, mined out of the earth that God created. They pale in comparison to the glory yet to be revealed to the sons and daughters of God. They pale in comparison. You could find a diamond mine in your backyard, church. Any one of you could find it. I'm not saying you will. You probably won't. We live in Aransas Pass after all. But you could find a diamond mine. You could mine it. You could, man, I mean, I've got coal, I've got diamonds, I've got everything I need. Godly, look what I've got. And that would still, you could walk into a mine with diamonds all around you. Think it's the most glorious thing that you have ever seen. But in Christ, when we go on from this life, there is a more glorious sight that we will see. And that is the throne of grace itself with God himself on that throne, calling you to himself and calling you by name. Because I, I promise you, church, he knows your name. Because your name, the Bible says, was written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. Before this earth was founded, before it was set, before it was created, before it was made, before it was spoken into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Before that, your name was in a book. And that book was the book of the Lamb. Jesus knows your name. He knows your name. You are His. You are His. 
Now, does your allegiance lie with money or does it lie with God? What is God's, again, give to God what is God's? What is God's? What is it that you have that God is after? It's you. You. All of you. Your heart. That's what he's after. It's always been you. It's always been you. He's always wanted you by his side. He's always wanted you with him. He's always been reaching out to help you. It's always been you. He came to this world to live, to teach, and to die for you so that when you believed in him, you would have eternal life. He came to die so that if you believed in him, you would have life and have it to the full, that you would have an abundant life in Christ with every spiritual blessing flowing from your very being. He came to bless you with life and breath and everything. In, he, he, he came to bless you as you believed his grace does that. His sacrifice does that. His love does that. His word does that. And they try to entangle him with his own words. They don't know who they're dealing with. So what do we give to God, church? Everything. All of me. That's what you can say. What do I give to God today? I give him all of me. All of me, because I want all that he is, all that he has for me. I want it because I know it's the greatest. I know it's the most glorious. I want it. I want it not so I can have stuff. I want it so I can have him. That's why we want it. All of me. That's what I give. All of me. So please say that over and over as you walk through this life, church. Here you are, God. Here is all of me, all that I am. Let's pray, church. God, we love you so much, Lord, and we ask you for forgiveness this morning, God, where we failed you. I ask you, Lord, for everyone here, everyone, everyone's family, Lord, that we would all come to faith in Jesus Christ, that we would all love you with everything that we are, that we would give you all of who we are, Lord, you deserve it. You deserve so much more than we can ever give. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us through every moment of our life, through the tough times, Lord, even the times when we question you and what you're doing. We may be doing that now, Lord. Some may in, be in, some in here or listening online may even be questioning what you are doing now. But God, thank you for loving them through it. Thank you for loving us through all those moments in life when we question you, God. Help us to find the answers that we seek in you, God. Help us, Lord, by telling us the truth. Help us, Lord, that we never try to entangle other people by words or with words. Help us when we are attacked and people try to entangle us in our own words or with the word in your word. God, help us with the entanglements of this world. Lord, their, their jabs and, and their shots, Lord, they will never win. And we thank you for that glorious truth, God. We give you glory, Lord, honor and praise. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to know how to live.
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.